Milwaukee's mayor digs in for a fight. We are taking a significant step to stop the NDP police service. The latest legal volley to block the adoption of Surrey's own police force. Vancouver Park Board audit. There were deficiencies and overall the system wasn't effective. The flaws in accounting that lead to a lot of questions about the fees you pay. And a nightmare end to a dream vacation. The ramp that we could have used was within 50 meters. A former Paralympian forced to navigate stairs while other WestJet passengers watched. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. We start with another bold move by Surrey to block the policing transition. The mayor is making it clear she's not giving up without a fight, launching a new legal challenge to keep the RCMP. Janet Brown reports. My team and I have been clear. We oppose this transition. Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke announcing the city is amending its original B.C. Supreme Court petition to challenge the constitutionality of the provincial government's recent changes to the Police Act, brought in to ensure the city has a legal obligation to complete the police transition. We will fight for what we said we were doing in the election, what we said we would do in terms of keeping the RCMP in Surrey, that was what we ran on, and that's what we're staying with. After this court challenge, if the city loses the court challenge, are there any other tools in the toolbox you can use to fight this? I, I, that would be speculating. I'm not going to speculate. Public Safety Minister and Solicitor General Mike Farnworth says this is yet another delaying tactic by the mayor. The decision has been made. Uh, it was made back uh, several months ago. It has been confirmed in legislation. Uh, so it is the Surrey Police Service will be policing the citizens of Surrey. Former Attorney General and B.C. Supreme Court Judge Wally Opel is asked if he thinks the city's legal challenge has any merit. I don't want to predict what some Supreme Court judge will do, but it would appear to me to be an a uphill struggle. Former Solicitor General and Richmond City Councillor Cash Heed says the provincial government should be concerned about the city's court challenge. The provincial government needs to be uh, very concerned with respect to this. They introduced Bill 36. It got royal assent. It's very, very one-sided in my opinion. The administrator of the Surrey Police Board, former Abbotsford Police Chief Mike Sear, appointed last week by Farnworth after the police board was suspended, has until November 30th to present a budget to council. This is about affordability in our city. Meantime, the province says Sear's contract is set to a maximum of $225 an hour. Janet Brown, Global News. And let's bring in our Keith Baldry for more on this. This fight goes on and on and on and on, Keith. And with it, the frustration grows. Is this ever going to end? Uh, well, frustration is growing. Also, a bit of anger on display today from Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth, who's upset with Brenda Locke's characterization of Surrey Police Services as an NDP police force. Uh, he used some pretty strong language here. These two don't get along, obviously. Here's an exchange with reporters in the hallway this afternoon. I just think it's incredibly disrespectful. You know, we have men and women who do a very difficult job. We've had, you know, tragedies this year involving police officers, funerals. And so for the mayor to say that, you know, oh, it's an NDP police service, quite frankly, I think is a disgrace. 
I don't see Mike Farnworth angry very often, but he clearly was quite upset in the hallway today. As Janet reported, Mike Sear, the uh, uh, representative out there who replaced the Surrey Police Board, the administrator has until November 30th to submit a budget. So while Brenda Locke and her counsel's court cases make its way through a very time-consuming court situation, court system, uh, the budget will be in place probably in early December, which means Surrey Police Service will be in a position to greatly increase hirings. And so when the court decision rolls around, it could be months away. In the Meantime, Surrey Police Service will likely be much, much bigger than it is right now. All right, we'll see. Thanks, Keith. All right. One week after two, or after Canada's two largest airlines publicly pledged to do better in their handling of passengers with disabilities, a former Paralympian is the latest customer forced to defend her or fend for herself after WestJet failed to provide her a way to safely board her flight. Erin MacArthur has the details. Recently returned from her trip to Mexico, Sarah Morris Probert is furious at the way she was treated at the airport. Despite booking the tickets months in advance, explicitly stating her mobility challenges, WestJet and their contracted ground staff failed to meet her needs. The crew did not know they had a passenger with a, wheel, um, with a disability boarding. Morris Probert was trying to board her aircraft for her flight home from Los Cabos. The plane not parked at a gate, but instead out on the tarmac. Despite a barrier-free ramp just meters away, it was not pushed up to the door. Sarah was told her only options were to be carried on board. Which is really unsafe practice. Or do it herself. I opted for the option that I have because I can. I got onto the step and I got on the one step at a time and got up there. What was so frustrating and humiliating was that people were all around me watching. This is not the first time the president of the BC Adaptive Snow Sports Association has had an issue with a WestJet flight. I happened two years ago and I was told by senior management it was not um, going to happen again and it must have been an isolated incident. We wanted to put Sarah Morris Probert's concerns directly to someone at WestJet. The company declined our request for an interview, instead sending Global News a statement. A statement we couldn't challenge directly. WestJet takes the transportation of mobility devices such as wheelchairs extremely seriously. And we sincerely apologize that Ms. Morris Probert's experience did not reflect this. Advocates for accessibility say this type of occurrence is far more common than people realize. Canadian Airlines have been well aware of these issues for years and continue to implement half measures, or as in this case, blame the ground staff. Until the government enforces legislation that, that ensures that passengers with disabilities are respected and protected and treated with dignity, I don't think we're going to see any change. Morris Probert will continue to travel for work and pleasure. The Paralympian saying the solutions here are not complicated. Companies and their contractors need to be required to implement them. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And a poor showing once again for WestJet and Air Canada when it comes to sticking to schedule. A new report by aviation data company Sirium found the country's two biggest airlines took the two bottom spots for on-time performance in October. Sirium found more than 8,700 Air Canada flights, or 28%, landed late in October. The only airline that was worse? WestJet, with 29% of its flights touching down 15 minutes or more behind schedule. Delta performed best of the North American carriers, with nearly 91% of its flights arriving on time. 
The Vancouver Park Board has been no stranger to controversy lately, and now a new report is raising more questions about the way it does things. As Kristen Robinson reports, the city's Auditor General says the board doesn't fully have a handle on how it sets its fees and how to best spend the money it brings in. From golf courses to the Stanley Park train. All aboard! Vancouver's Park Board collected an average of $56 million annually from fees and charges between 2018 and 2022. But the first audit of the only elected body of its kind in Canada by the city's recently established Auditor General found the Park Board did not have an effective framework for achieving revenue goals for its assets and services. Mike McDonnell made six recommendations. First of all, to improve its understanding of costs so that it can charge the correct fee and also the level of service uh, areas. Improve its understanding of the extent of subsidy from taxpayers. Those two are really key to setting, effectively setting uh, fees. The Independent Park Board is also encouraged to more proactively engage City Council to ensure sufficient funding for its long-term strategies. Park Board is responsible for setting fees, that's established in the Vancouver Charter, uh, but it can't spend a dime, including any of the fees that it collects, without Council's approval. After initially promising to get rid of the Park Board and roll it back under the authority of City Council, Ken Sim reversed course during the 2022 mayoral campaign. To me, this report has two meanings. One, it's either setting up the Park Board to be more focused on revenue-making opportunities, cactus clubs for example, highly commercial opportunities in our parks that haven't been taken advantage of. The report I think sets us up for that, but it also sets us up for maybe the park board is redundant and should be dismantled. The performance audit was initiated by park board commissioners and its recommendations have been accepted by management. Vice Chair Brennan Bastiovansky says the plan is to activate more areas of park assets and lift service levels. There's absolutely no talk of dismantling the park board. In fact, this is an exercise to prove the opposite. The, we improve uh, service delivery. We do uh, more with the, the money and revenue opportunities that we have. Then the service level and quality of our parks will continue to expand and improve. Park Board General Manager Steve Jackson was not available for an interview Monday. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The federal government is investing $108 million into tourism projects across the country. The funding will be distributed over the next three years to Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities, small businesses, not-for-profits and other organizations. The government says Canada's seven regional development agencies will deliver the funding directly to help position Canada as a destination of choice for travel. This is all part of the new federal tourism growth strategy that's working to support sustainable tourism, outdoor experiences, indigenous tourism, seasonal expansion, and tourism in rural and remote areas. When it comes to tourism, Canada has what people want. Not only do we have huge and beautiful places, but we are a place where we can open our arms and welcome everyone. This will fund projects that are meant to align with the tourism growth strategy, which aims for a 40% increase in the tourism sector's contribution to Canada's GDP by the end of the decade. A nonprofit that supports hospitality workers going through financial hardship is itself facing a financial crunch. The BC Hospitality Foundation helps workers get through illness and injury. 
But demand is so high these days, as Kylie Stanton reports, it's asking for extra help from the public. They're the ones who prep your order, check you in for a hotel stay, or make your coffee. But when the tables turn and it's the hospitality workers that need support, there's a lifeline. We help people with out-of-town stays, out-of-town treatments. We also help them with the cost of medical equipment and to cover the costs when things like your medical benefits, EI or disability run out. I was diagnosed with a stage four lymphoma. The BC Hospitality Foundation raises funds through its annual Spirit of Hospitality Lottery, assisting those in the industry facing financial crisis due to a health condition that's preventing them from working. It's been and was amazing. We've helped people keep their apartment. We've helped people get you know, a wheelchair or the medical devices that they need. Over the past 14 years, a total of $1.6 million has been distributed to 300 workers throughout the province. 349 scholarships have also been awarded. But this year, requests for support are far outpacing the money raised. Yeah, everybody's purse strings are, are tight right now. We get that. Uh, a lot of our traditional donors and the events that we run, uh, our people are tapped. They don't have extra resources. That's why we're running this. So everybody in the province is eligible. The foundation is only about a quarter of the way to its goal of raising $100,000. But every ticket purchased increases the odds of winning big. There are some amazing prizes, uh, you know, there's an Aspen getaway, there's, uh, you know, trips in Victoria, whole weekends in Victoria, weekend in Vancouver, Whistler, the Rocky Mountaineer as well. The prizing is, is really second to none, so, you know, maybe you'll have a good stocking stuffer for this year. After a difficult few years for the industry that's now coming out the other side of the pandemic, the hope is British Columbians will find a way to give back. We want to be able to continue to support the level that we have been supporting and be able to support the increase that's coming in as well. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, you've seen the ads for deals that seem too good to refuse with Black Friday coming up very quickly. What you need to know to make the most of your money when holiday shopping. That's next with Andrea and Consumer Matters on the News Hour. Jaw dropping. I wasn't expecting that from my hobby. A trio of amateur astronomers etches their names into science books forever. That's later on the News Hour. And in sports, late game heroics in the Grey Cup from a player who has roots right here in BC. You'll learn more later. Right now, though, Black Friday is coming up fast, but the offers are already out there, and retailers are promising even more savings when the actual day arrives. But will consumers be receptive, given the fact many are feeling the pain of inflation? And with more, we'll bring in Consumer Matters reporter Anne Drua. Anne. Thanks, Chris. There's no doubt retailers are bracing for a challenging holiday shopping season, with Canadians expected to closely watch their bottom line. Still, when it comes to Black Friday, some retail analysts are predicting significant discounts to entice a cautious consumer. The sale signs are out well in advance of Black Friday. A crucial time for retailers hoping to attract bargain-minded shoppers. Discounts that are pretty significant, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40, 45 percent is what consumers can expect to see. Like most retailers at London Drugs, the deals are breaking early and will continue leading up to Black Friday. 
discounts are forecast to span across several categories, including flat screen TVs, computer laptops and cell phone plans. What we know is that disposable income is being really challenged in terms of what's going on with interest rates and living costs and things like that. So I think consumers, and we realize this, are looking for value. And so I think that there are those values out there as we get to Black Friday. Canadian bargain hunting and coupon website redflagdeals.com expects deals on toys like Lego, PlayStation and discounts on gift cards from major retailers. I really do think that's because retailers are aware that Canadians feel a bit cautious and feel a little bit um, hesitant about spending. And that's one way that you can guarantee someone will um, come in your store and spend some money. The Retail Council of Canada says this year the spending isn't as much the issue for consumers as the search for good prices and ensuring they are getting good value for their dollar. But are retailers in a position this year to offer the deep discounts we've seen in the past? I think it depends on the type of retailer and how they're delivering their product and whether they source the correct product in advance in adequate quantities, whether they have the ability to discount that. And that's going to be on a retailer-by-retailer, store-by-store basis. And don't expect those traditional Black Friday images with long lineups and frenzied shoppers, as more and more consumers turn to online shopping. Will you expect to see lineups uh, waiting at the door at 6 a.m.? Probably not. Uh, you might see people in their pajamas shopping in the middle of the night for those same items and then picking them up the next day. And the best advice from retail experts to strike a deal is to shop around and compare prices. Check the store's price matching policy and the return policy. Some retailers are starting to charge restocking fees. As for Cyber Monday, it's worth checking out the deals. Shopping online may offer more products you may not find in store. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can always email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, great. Thanks, Anne. A man from the Toronto area recently got the shock of his life when his Hyundai electric vehicle stopped working. The repair estimate, an eye-watering $50,000. That's when he contacted Global's Sean O'Shea, and the story took a different turn. I felt like I got kicked in the private. Simrat Such is still feeling the pain over what recently happened with his electric vehicle. I was an electric fan, and I want to get another electric vehicle, but... From Hyundai, this has really put a bad taste in my mouth towards them. Hyundai's 2017 Ionic was launched in New York with great fanfare in 2016. The Ionic Electric. A hybrid version and a fully electric model bought by Such. He was the second owner, but the car still had lots of warranty left on the electrical system and battery at the time. And since Such had previously owned a different electric vehicle, he was a believer. Didn't have any issues with my first vehicle, so... Thought it would be the right avenue to try a second vehicle. He had no issues with the car until this happened. I had an EV light come on. I had taken it to the shop. They couldn't find anything wrong. But there was indeed a problem. Two weeks after that, the vehicle stopped charging. The dealership in Hamilton said he needed the battery replaced. The quote stunned him. I was provided a quote at $50,000. Between the battery installation and taxes, it totaled just over $50,000. I was just floored. Especially because his 160,000 kilometer electric vehicle warranty had just run out. The dealer in Hyundai told Such there was nothing they could do. I still had to pay $500 for them to tell me the car's no good. 
Stories like this one are the kind to scare off buyers concerned about the high cost of electric vehicle repairs. When confronted with the choice to fix or dispose of his powerless Hyundai Ionic, he chose the latter. I ended up scrapping the vehicle and collecting uh, around $1,000. But when Global News asked Hyundai Canada to investigate, we were told there'd been a communications breakdown at the head office level. The case should have been escalated immediately for additional review. They told us we extend our sincere apologies to Mr. Such for these lapses, adding it wanted to resolve this situation by paying fair market value for his vehicle, either in cash or towards a new Hyundai, as part of our commitment to our customers. Hyundai's decision could put twenty-five dollars or $30,000 in Such's pocket toward a new vehicle, replacing a car he scrapped. Up next, a landlord lands in court after a devastating fire. No, this is illegal. No, it's not illegal. Okay, you're not illegal, You're in a public place. The charges he's facing and what happened when he argued in his own defense today. And why Vancouver police are looking for this guy and why you should avoid him if you happen to see him. Vancouver police are hoping you can help identify the suspect in a pair of scary incidents from the end of August. Police want to find this man. He's described as being in his 30s, 5 foot 5 to 5 foot 8 tall with a medium build and a tattooed right arm. The VPD says in the late afternoon of August 24th, the man and a woman boarded the SkyTrain at Stadium Station. When they exited the train at Main Street, they got into a fight. When a group of people tried to intervene, the man pointed a gun at them. If you recognize him, you are asked to contact Vancouver Police. The landlord of an East Vancouver apartment building that went up in flames in the summer is in court defending himself against accusations the building was a fire trap. As Grace Key reports, the city and the building's tenants had expressed their concerns well before the fire. Fu Ren and his wife Fen Yang entered guilty pleas to six out of the 20 charges against them. They stem from a November 2022 fire inspection on his East Vancouver rental building. What was your main concern with the fire department? Various charges include failing to maintain a fire alarm system, sprinkler system and accumulation of combustible materials. Ren is representing himself in court. In July, flames ripped through the same Mount Pleasant rental complex, leaving 70 people homeless. The fire was determined accidental, caused by a candle. At the time, residents expressed concerns about fire safety. To my knowledge, there's not a single fire extinguisher in, in the building. Definitely not in one in my suite, definitely not one on my floor. People didn't have, you know, fire extinguishers, uh, sprinklers in the floors. The city has been looking at it for quite some time. Through an interpreter, Ren said he was unaware of the specifics of the charges, adding he requested to be there for the fire inspections. I had made many requests to the fire department, so when they come to tell me the time of inspections, we can identify the problems together, but they never honoured my requests. Quite a bit of time was taken up at the start of court with Ren saying he never got proper violation notices. The judge asked how Ren wanted to proceed, adding, We have made everything possible to you to make full answer on defense. And if you are still trying to delay the proceeding, I'm not going to let you do that. Entering pleas to 20 charges was drawn out when Ren wanted to argue each one. Counsel for the city didn't even have time to make its case when they were forced to wrap up for the day. A second court date will have to be set. Grace Key, Global News. Ceremonies are being held across the province today to mark the annual Transgender Day of Remembrance. Vigils have been taking place around the world each year on November 20th for more than two decades. 
The first Transgender Day of Remembrance took place in 1999 as a way to remember Rita Hester and Chanel Pickett, two black trans women who were murdered in the 1990s. At SFU's Burnaby campus, an event was held in remembrance of victims of transphobic violence. We are reading through the names, hearing from um, some speakers, and talking generally about the violence that uh, trans and gender diverse people face, um, both locally and internationally. Um, we are remembering those who have passed over the past year, whether from violence or from uh, suicide or other factors. And we are making sure that they are not only remembered, but that we are holding them in their entire lives and as we, uh, we commemorate um, the lives that they lived. Events have been held across the Lower Mainland throughout the day, including a candlelight vigil outside the Vancouver Art Gallery. Up next, a Victoria City Councillor under fire. It is important for Councillor Kim to um, come forward and provide some comments and, of course, apologize immediately. Why weighing in on the Israel-Hamas war is causing problems for Susan Kim. Also ahead, how doctors believe discrimination is preventing obese patients from getting the weight loss drugs they need. The CKNW Kids Fund Pink Shirt Day campaign recognizes the importance of diversity. So let's lift each other up on Pink Shirt Day, Wednesday, February 28th. Presented by Fortis BC, energy for a better BC. A Victoria City Councillor is facing intense criticism and calls to resign after being one of just two Canadian politicians who signed an open letter calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. But as Richard Zussman reports, that letter also controversially describes accusations of sexual violence during the October 7th attacks as unverified. For weeks, political leaders around the world have condemned the attack by Hamas on Israel. But now one Victoria City Councillor has signed a letter in part questioning the fact that women were raped in the attack. It is important for Councillor Kim to um, come forward and provide some comments and, of course, apologize immediately. One line of that letter reads, quote, the unverified accusation that Palestinians were guilty of sexual violence. Kim has so far refused Global BC's request for interviews and did not show up at a council meeting in person on Monday. This is a serious issue. Um, I believe in survivors. I believe in their first-hand accounts and it is absolutely wrong to deny that these accounts um, happen. BC United has called for Kim to resign as a Victoria City Councillor. It's just appalling. She should be held accountable and responsible as elected representative here in Victoria for her conduct and she should resign. When asked, Victoria Mayor Marianne Alto refused to condemn the comments, saying Kim should speak for herself. Alto also stating she currently doesn't have enough information to state whether she believed Israeli women and children were victims of sexualized violence. I don't have enough information to be able to answer that in an informed way. I think it would be actually quite irresponsible for me to comment on that without being more informed. Alto did read a prepared statement calling ongoing anti-Semitism and Islamophobia appalling. An online petition is garnering significant attention, calling on Kim to be censured. I feel like signing this open letter uh, wasn't appropriate, especially as she signed it City of Victoria Councillor. 
The city of Victoria does have a code of conduct in place for the mayor and councillors, but in this case, the code of conduct would not apply. That wasn't contemplated in the original view of what a code of conduct should have. A code of conduct is a living document. That doesn't mean it can't be changed in the future. The online petition Kim signed was up until early Monday, but was eventually taken down. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And the Global BC Newsroom just received a statement from Kim. In part, it reads, quote, I regret how this matter has polarized our community. That was never my intent. I continue to condemn any and all forms of hate and oppression, end quote. Kim says she believes survivors of gender-based violence and sexual assault, but did not apologize for what was in the letter. She says she will fulfill the entirety of her four-year term. RCMP in the central Okanagan are investigating a particularly heartless crime. Thieves broke into a building in Peachland that housed two non-profit organizations, a wellness center and the town's food bank. The thieves tore the inside apart, taking computers and cash. We're a very open place and uh, people are welcome. We uh, support people, uh, not so much financially, but with a lot of other things. And if you're in need, you can come to the food bank or you can come to the Peachline Wellness Centre. You don't need to break in here. A volunteer has fixed some of the damage, but the organizations will still be out of pocket for other repairs. The Wellness Centre is looking for donations to replace its computer, and the food bank needs donations to replace some of the food that was stolen. In Health Matters tonight, there are renewed calls today for government to help lift the stigma and treat obesity more like a medical condition than a lifestyle choice. As Cassidy Moscone reports, at issue is coverage of expensive weight loss drugs such as Ozempic, which are used for diabetes. No one chooses obesity. Obesity is a real medical condition. It's complex, chronic and relapsing. Sandra Alaya is one of more than 22% of British Columbians who have personal experience with the disease that doctors say is misunderstood. Eat less, move more, we consider a discriminatory statement. That's the equivalent of turning to someone with depression, diagnosing depression and saying, and for treatment, what I think we should do is you should just snap out of it and cheer up. There's no one-size-fits-all treatment. Medication is one of them, but experts say in Canada it's not that simple to access. The drug semaglutide is one of them. It's the ingredient in the increasingly popular type 2 diabetes treatment brand Ozempic, which has also been clinically proven to deliver results for weight loss. Being on this medication has helped me tremendously with my health. Semaglutide for obesity has a different trade name called Wegovi, and Wegovi is not commercially available in Canada. So in other words, we have Coca-Cola in Canada in cans, but not in bottles. What's preventing it from being commercially available in Canada? I would love the answer to that question. In BC, Ozempic is covered under Pharmacare for type 2 diabetes, not those living with obesity. So you're talking about medications that cost between $200 and $500 a month. There is not a single province that covers any anti-obesity medications, period. And yet we have treatments. 
The health minister not ruling out the change but confirming access for obese patients is not the government's priority. No option is ever off the table. You want to assess uh, the value of drugs. But our real focus right now is to ensure that a drug that is um, uh, very successful for many people in dealing with type 2 diabetes. This is a population of patients that needs to audition for treatment. And if that's not discrimination, I don't know what is. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Coming up, an astronomical accomplishment. And I thought it was a joke. Canadian stargazers get recognition that will last through the eons later. And in sports, the Grey Cup hero who made that game-winning catch and his strong connection to BC. All right, Squire, are you ready? Yeah, I think so. Then take it away. <laughs> All right. He said confidently. Yes, the Canucks seem to be a little tired of late, which can happen with the way they play because for the most part, they play hard up and down the ice every night. And what else has burned them out a bit is all the games they've been playing of late, six in 10 days, with three of those being back east. Now, tonight they get what you would think would be an elixir, a visit from San Jose, the team they scored 10 goals against on November 2nd, a team they've won 10 straight games against, a team that happens to have the worst record in the NHL. But... Just the same, as bad as the Sharks are, they can bite you if you aren't yourself. And Tyler Myers says in the last few games, the Canucks have not been themselves. Um, you know, the last two, even three games, uh, even in a couple wins that we've had, we've, you know, we've, we've slipped a little bit. You know, we've lost a little bit of our, uh, you know, lost some of our staples. And, you know, we're not quite uh, playing too you know, our identity as a group. You know, we just got to get back to it. There's going to be ups and downs in the season. And, um, you know, we have to be a team that, that responds. All right, Calvin Pickard, it's your turn to be an Edmonton Oilers goalie. Let's see what you can do. Well, the Oilers spot him a 2-0 lead. He hasn't played an NHL game in a year. And Evander Kane makes it 2-0 there. But Nico Mikola and the Florida Panthers will tie it 2-2. Then Connor McDavid gets a penalty shot against Sergei Bobrovsky in the second period. And, and he scores. But the Oilers can't hold that lead either. Edmonton's defense falling down. And Mikola scores again. And late in the third period, Florida has a 4-3 lead over the Oilers. The Montreal Alouettes upset. Winnipeg in yesterday's Grey Cup game. And that upset was very much a team effort. But every win needs an individual hero. And that guy from Montreal was Tyson Philbot, who grew up in Delta with his twin brother Jalen, who plays for Calgary. And they learned the game under their dad, former BC Lions running back Corey Philpott. In the six years since Tyson was one of the stars of the Siaquam High School team, he's won a Vanier Cup with the University of Calgary and now a Grey Cup with Montreal scoring what proved to be the winning touchdown. Down by three. Time running out. It's Touchdown! Tyson Philpott! I dreamed about this. I envisioned this as a six-year-old, seven-year-old. I grew up watching Canadian football. And just to get on this stage and, and contribute like I did, it's just so surreal. And this is forever. This is in history. 
From high school through university and now the CFL, Tyson has always worn the number six, the one his father Corey wore with the BC Lions when his dad was nicknamed Quick Six. And with the win yesterday, Tyson now has won the same trophy his father won back in 94. Six years old, man, I dreamed about this thing. I watched my dad play, watched him win a great cup. So it's just so surreal to get it done. And to get it done on a team that entered the playoffs as an afterthought. But the Alouettes won their final five regular season games and then won three playoff games in a row. The final two against Toronto and Winnipeg were games that only the most diehard Alouette fans thought there was a chance. The Montreal fans never gave up on us. You know, we were streaky throughout, but everyone in the city, everyone in this locker room believed in us, and that's all the belief we needed. I'm just so glad we can bring a great cup back to the city of Montreal because it's been too long. Well, blowing a 13-0 lead and missing a game-winning field goal was painful enough for Seattle yesterday down in Los Angeles, but the Seahawks also have two of their most important players hurting from that game. Running back Kenneth Walker has an oblique strain, and he's questionable for Thursday night's Thanksgiving Day game or Thanksgiving night game against San Francisco. And quarterback Geno Smith is questionable with an elbow problem. It's going to be a couple days, you know, to, to make sure that we let them get back and it quiets down and all that. Um, they know that it, they know the extent of it, that it, it isn't, you know, there's no structural issue there, but he's, you know, he's got a sore elbow this morning. So uh, um, they're doing everything they can to work, work through that and we'll see how it goes. The brothers Kelsey, they faced each other in the Super Bowl in February. They're doing it again tonight. It's Eagles, it's Chiefs, it's Travis with a touchdown. We haven't seen uh... Yeah, we haven't seen her. <laughs> she was meeting the parents tonight, right? Uh, maybe. I, we haven't seen her yet. So if she's there, she's hiding. Mm. Because if she was in camera range, we would have seen about a thousand shots of her already. <laughs> That's true. Thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Up next, the amateur astronomers whose names are written in the stars. No, I've done a lot of raking lately. <laughs> a lot of leaves <laughs> coming exercise. down in my neighborhood. That's right. Yeah, it's nice. Keeps me fit. <laughs> uh, yes, Yvonne. Um, we might see a little bit of rain, though, or just a little blip in the, the next few days. Yeah, just a little blip. You get a break from the raking, Chris, and I'll show you why coming up. But uh, it's dry out there this evening. We do have an increase in cloud cover. It is going to pick up, though, as we get in through the day for tomorrow. We're currently sitting at 6 degrees. Here's what we're tracking. This weather maker along the north and central coast. It's packing a punch with very windy conditions along that region, and then it is going to work its way along the south coast. Here's what we've seen so far in terms of our peak wind gusts. Prince Rupert has seen gusts of up to 85, Port Hardy up to 67. These are some of the current winds even for Prince Rupert we have seen some of those gusts right now at 69 in Port Hardy we're just over 65 kilometers per hour now the wind warning that remains in effect likely in towards this evening Haida Gwaii the north and central coast some of those gusts could still get up to 120 and the northern regions of the island could get see gusts of up to 110 kilometers per hour it should start to subside as we get in late this evening so there's that weather maker the timeline for us along the south coast will be for the afternoon later in the afternoon maybe two or three three and then as we get in towards the evening we do have that rain for us anywhere between five and up to ten millimeters will be for most areas higher amounts will be along the northern regions and western regions of the island and then it'll dissipate and we're back into some sunshine still quite breezy through the day tomorrow along the north coast but the rainfall will taper off to showers we will see some breaks especially for the central interior with highs up to five much of the southern half a nice break through the day tomorrow tops in Okanagan with the sunshine will be up to six and then along the south coast 
coast. We are going to track that rain for the afternoon, taking us in towards the evening. Most areas across the lower mainland will start to see it pick in, pick up rather as we get in towards the afternoon. Eastern regions extending into the Fraser Valley. We'll see some of the heaviest rainfall as we get in towards the evening. So we've got a blip in the forecast for tomorrow. We'll see temperatures up to 10. We'll rebound by our Wednesday, Thursday onwards. Plenty of sunshine in the mix. Temperatures between 7, potentially up to 9 degrees. Freezing, Mark. It'll be chilly for the overnight. All right, one more thing to add to the weather window tonight. This photo from Yellow Point, it's on the island. I was captured by Graham. I started to talk a little bit slower, give Squire a little bit of time Thank to sit you. down so Thank he doesn't you. have to have that cardio minute, and now he's there. <laughs> We're all here. You're, you're very relaxed for a guy who's like <laughs> rushing in. That was very good. Very I, I really appreciated that. And then, like, when she's about to wrap, and Squire's time has already started. Yeah. He wanders away over to check your hair. Is yeah, that? that's I why. I my tie because if I go on, the tie's all askew. Yeah. No one's going to hear a word I'm saying because they're going to say, look at Squire's tie. It looks awful. <laughs> you guys are always worried, and I don't even notice. Because you don't know how about dare the tie. You. No. No. The tie's we put a lot of effort into this. It's great. Your tie's yeah. are like great. Just like Yvonne put a lot of effort into becoming the I most outstanding stretcher. <laughs> yes, that was good. Yeah, but you threw me off, Squire, because then you went and start to the side, and I was like, oh, where are we going with this? How I, much longer? I thought it was wonderful that you gave us every syllable. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're here now. All right. So here's what I got to say, and I'm not out of breath. Thanks, Yvonne. Uh, Delta's Tyson Philpott was the Grey Cup hero yesterday, scoring the winning touchdown from Montreal. I grew up watching Canadian football and just to get on this stage and, and contribute like I did, it's just so surreal. Not only was he the guy who scored the winning TD, he was also named the game's outstanding Canadian. Good for him. Proud of the Philpot family. And also tonight, three amateur astronomers over the moon now that their names are etched into space history. Jordan Armstrong is with us now for a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? And it's topical. We followed the snow report, Chris, because we'll tell you how Whistler Blackcomb still plans to open in time for American Thanksgiving, even when the conditions look like this. Bare hills, at least closer to the village. Whistler has a new eight-person chairlift, but size doesn't really matter when you're lacking in the snow department. While Whistler refuses to delay its opening, another BC resort has done just that, and we'll have a full report at 11. Chris? Sounds good. Thanks very much, Jordan. Well, three amateur astronomers from the Maritimes are celebrating after receiving a high honor. Mm -hmm. An asteroid has been named after the trio, not because they discovered it, but because of their shared passion. And I thought it was a joke. Three New Brunswickers passionate about astronomy now have an asteroid more than 550 million kilometers away named after them. We would never have dreamt it. Never. Their particular rock, once only known as number 20020, now called MEPAC for Mike, Paul and Chris. I wasn't expecting that from my hobby in any way, shape, manner or form. To see their asteroid, you would need a telescope like this one at the Burke Gaffney Observatory in Halifax's St. Mary's University. Because these minor planets, as they're known, are relatively small, dim, and difficult to make out. The tradition going back 200 years is that asteroids are named by their discoverers. 
But modern technology means scientists detect many more asteroids in space these days, far too many to name themselves. So organizations like the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada submit nominations from local clubs. And so their club nominated the three of them for the work they've been doing. Just before the COVID-19 pandemic is when the trio launched their own weekly show online, encouraging others to gaze towards the stars with them. I always say we're all looking at the same moon, so um, no matter where you are in the world. So now their names are recorded forever in astronomical history. Who's getting the mineral rights? That's what I want to know. (laughs) Even as their feet are planted firmly on the ground. Heidi Petrachik, Global News, Halifax. Good for them. Very cool. Mm-hmm. All right, Yvonne, it is cold out there. going to be chilly the next few nights, uh, especially for overnight lows. Oh, Mike's off. It's been a weird, this been a weird want, show. Want me to do it? Yeah, do, please, because I filled in for you, can fill in for me. Okay, so there's three <laughs> suns at the end of the week. There's only a half a sun on Wednesday, and there's absolutely no sun on Tuesday. Uh, tomorrow's rain for the afternoon. All right, Mike's wow. on. Got a deep bench, deep bench here at Global. (laughs) That was a great forecast, Squire. (laughs) Thank you. Have a good night, everyone. Good night, all.